Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Namo Vishnu Paraya Krishna Krishna Namo Vishnu Paraya Krishna Krishna Swami Namo Vishnu Paraya Krishna Krishna Swami Namo Vishnu Paraya Krishna Krishna Swami Namo Vishnu Para
Namaste Saraswati Devi, Guravani Pacharini, Nervishesha Shunivari Paschatiari Chitarini. Hare Krishna, good morning, dear devotees. We are commencing with Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 8. Text twenty-nine. <clears throat> Sadvakyam anitampaya Maitreya uvacha Ityudahritam aparnya Bhagavanaradastara Prita pratyatam balam Sadvakyam anitampaya Would anyone like to recite the verse? Maitre Uvacha Itiudahritamakarnya Bhagavanaradastara Prita Pritya Tambalam Sadvakyam Anukampaya. Thank you. Anyone else? Weird meanings. Maitreya Uvacha. The, the sage Maitreya continued, Iti thus, Udharitam being spoken, Akarnya hearing, Hagavan Narada, the great personality Narada, Tada thereupon, Prita being pleased, Pratyaha replied, Tam him, Balam the boy, Satyakam, good advice. Anukampaya, being compassionate. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Shilkaupada Ki Jai. The sage Maitreya continued. The great personality Narada Muni, upon hearing the words of Dhruva Maharaj, became very compassionate toward him. And in order to show him his causeless mercy, he gave him the following expert advice. Would anyone like to repeat? The sage Maitreya continued. The sage Maitreya continued. The great personality Narada Muni. The great personality Narada Muni. Upon hearing the words of Dhruva Maharaj. Upon hearing the words of Dhruva Maharaj became very compassionate toward him. Became very compassionate toward him. 
And in order to show him his causeless mercy, and in order to show him his causeless mercy, he gave him the following expert advice. He gave him the following expert advice. Shri Prabhupada's purport. Since, since the great sage Narada is the foremost spiritual master, naturally his only activity is to bestow the greatest benefit upon whomever he meets. Dhruva Maharaj, however, was a child. And so his demand was also that of a playful child. Still, the great sage became compassionate toward him. And for his welfare, he spoke the following verses. Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurnitamnena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadara Shri Vasari Gaurabhaktavrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Vanchakalpa Tarubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhya Evacha Patitanam Pavanebhya Vaishnavibhya Namapanamaha The great sage Maitreya continued. The great personality Narada Muni upon hearing the words of Dhruva Maharaj, became very compassionate toward him. And in order to show him his causeless mercy, he gave him the following expert advice. So we're seeing the quality of compassion being highlighted here in the text, Bhagavatam text, and the Sanskrit term Anukampaya, is being used, being compassionate. There's also other Sanskrit words that mean compassion, like Karuna. We say, hey, Krishna, Karuna Sindhu, Dina Bandhu Jagatpati, Gopisha Gopika Kanta, Radha Kanta, Namastati. But Krishna, he's the most compassionate. He has absolute compassion. Hey, Krishna, Karuna, Karuna Sindhu. Oh, my dear Krishna. You are the friend of the distressed and the source of all creation. You are the master of the gopis and the lover of Radharani. So Krishna is the most compassionate. And the term compassion, we know the quality itself is very much treasured universally. Everyone likes to be shown compassion, to be shown empathy, kindness, warm-heartedness. Everyone likes that. Everyone values compassion. It's the treasured quality that we hopefully aspire for. So what's the definition of compassion? What is the meaning of compassion? The term actually means, according to some encyclopedias, it's when one has a sympathetic consciousness, is conscious of another's distress, and has sympathy and empathy for that person. So it's a sympathetic consciousness of another's distress. And not only that, it's a desire to alleviate that distress. In this regard, uh, the nectar of devotion by Srila Rupa Goswami, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, he 
also gives a definition of karuna anukampaya to mean one who is unable to bear another's distress, one who cannot tolerate another's distress. Uh, he's actually describing the qualities, some of the more prominent qualities of Krishna. Indeed, Krishna's countless qualities, not even Nanta Dei, with his unlimited mouth, can list the qualities of Krishna. But Srila Rupa Goswami, he, he gives a list of some of these prominent qualities, and one of them is compassion. And he defines that quality as one who's unable to bear another's distress. And in this regard, he he gives examples of places of uh, circumstances where Krishna is displaying, he's exhibiting his compassion. One of the examples Srila Rupa Goswami gives is when the kings, there were so many kings who were imprisoned by a personage named Magadendra and Krishna rushed to the rescue like the original knight in shining armor and he released the princes uh, the kings they were in darkness in a cave and krishna came like the sun the krishna king the sun and he freed all those kings so that's one example that rupa goswami gives of krishna's compassion and then another example he gives which is quite related to vishmastami today today is the the disappearance of Bhishma Dev, grandfather Bhishma. When Bhishma Dev, he was departing from the world, and that's the story in itself. We'll speak a little about Bhishmastami toward the end of the class. And he gives that example that Krishna is very compassionate toward Bhishma Dev, who's a great devotee of Krishna. Bhishma Dev wanted Krishna, Krishna to be there when he was passing away. And Krishna came. And when he saw the situation, the whole setup that Bhishma Dev was in, he couldn't control himself. He was crying. He was so very pained, so very sorry to see the situation. Actually, Bhishma Dev had an extraordinary dying pastime because people would like. I think, <laughs> to die in a bed peacefully, surrounded by devotees chanting their loved ones. And Bhishmadev was on a bed himself, quite an extraordinary bed, in a battlefield at the end of a battle, and he was on a bed. They got a bed for him all right, like Arjuna saw to that. There, he was on a bed of arrows. Those arrows were shot through his body, and he was like suspended on this cot or this bed of arrows. So we'll hear a little more about that later. We're talking now about the different, about the quality, the compassion, the compassion of the Lord. And in the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, I just thought it was noteworthy when the qualities of Krishna are being delineated again in the first canto, I think it's the 16th chapter. One of the qualities that's mentioned also again is compassion. It's a very important quality we should have. Empathy for others and by showing it to others, they in turn want to reciprocate. <clears throat> if they see they can place our faith and trust in us. So Srila Jiva Goswami, we know he's 
considered one of the greatest philosophers in the entire world, he analyzed those qualities of Krishna and he posed a series of questions and gave answers to them. And one of the qualities he mentioned is compassion. Just found was remarkable. He said, how can God feel compassion? How can he feel compassion and identify with the suffering of others and yet be happy? If you're identifying with others suffering, you won't be happy. You'll be distressed, you'll be sad. So how can he be all blissful and free from pain and at the same time feel compassion, heartfelt compassion and identify with others suffering? So he poses the question and then in his own brilliant way, he answers it. And he says, although it seems like an apparent contradiction, yet it, it's clarified, it's cleared by the achintia factor. And what is that achintia factor? It's an inconceivable potency of Krishna, like achintya beda beda tattva, simultaneously one and different. So he makes a point in his answer to his own question that Krishna is in a different category by himself, Vishnu tattva. He is in an exclusive category by himself. So it's quite possible for the Lord to feel compassion and identify with others suffering and feel pain. Like we see, he felt pain when he saw Bhishma on the bed of arrows. There's many instances where Krishna feels pain and he, he wants to help. So he can identify with others pain and feel compassion. And yet at the same time, he can be all blissful and pain-free. So both are true. So I thought I, that was quite significant. So now, we said Krishna is the all-compassionate one. I wanted to ask everyone if they can give you know nice discussion, examples displaying uh, the where Krishna displays his compassion. Examples, uh, different pastimes, instances in one's own life where we we actually perceive the compassion of God. So would anyone like to share? I gave an example from the Nectar of Devotion where Krishna freed the kings who were imprisoned and caged by Magadendra. And also when he felt compassion and came to fulfill the desire of Vishmadev to get uh, the darshan of the Lord before he left, before he passed away. Any example showing the compassion of Krishna? Hi Krishna. Is Hi. it okay? Is it okay to um, show um, Krishna as he comes as uh, Nitai Guranga? <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> Thanks. So I, I was thinking of the obvious um, Jagai Marai. <laughs> and, and Lord Nityananda actually helped um, Lord Chaitanya, who's obviously compassionate, to, um, to show um, the special uh, mercy of Lord Nityananda because Lord Chaitanya was going to um, take that chakra. 
but um, anyway, so it, it was like a really special pastime for um, showing compassion. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Nijapu. I like that. Yes, it shows like two aspects of God. Yes, Lord Chaitanya, he's the one who is a uh, who is punishing and then God, the merciful, the compassionate, personified Lord Nityananda. Did someone else have something to add? Yeah, I was thinking uh, in the light of the Bhagavad, Srila Prabhupada says, um, he says, uh, he gives examples of those who uh, work for the benefit of others. And he gives example of Haridas Thakur and um, Lord Nityananda. And, and then he says, and in your Western country, uh, most popular is Lord Jesus. So he, he'll some, I've heard him use Lord Nityananda and Haridas Thakur together. And then he says, and in the Western country, uh, personalities like Lord Jesus. And, um, and then we can see Haridas Thakur with the prostitute, with the prisoners, and yeah, pretty much with the world at large, these personalities, are sacrificing and extending themselves with incredible expressions of forgiveness and um, mercy, compassion and acceptance. So I just was uh, thinking of that. It's a little vignette from the light of the Bhagavat. Those three personalities, Prabhupada uh, shares the example, shares how they're all in the same line of, of giving mercy to the conditioned souls. Thank you, yes. Krishna shows his compassion when he himself comes in different avatars <clears throat> to entice the conditioned souls to come back to him. So he comes himself in his avatars and he comes also in the form of his devotees. So that's, that's another way of showing his compassion. Any other examples? <clears throat> I can give an example where we see the compassion of God that he's not out there just for his devotees alone, but for everyone, the conditioned souls, the surrendered souls, like when he, Lord Nityananda, he, he, uh, he supports, he's there for the miscreants like Jagai and Madai. So we're seeing the compassion of Krishna is for everyone, it's universal, it's not partial or biased. And um, another way Krishna shows his compassion, which shows that he has, he's giving mercy to the conditioned souls, is he creates the entire material cosmic manifestation, all these different worlds, where the fallen conditioned soul can rectify himself. So the, these, uh, these worlds, this material creation, is a place where it's like a correctional facility. It's a place of reform and rehabilitation. So Krishna does not pass the living entity into hell eternally, they're burned and perished. It's nothing like that, but he gives, he gives us the opportunity. He gives us a situation where we can make gradual spiritual advancement systematically where we come in contact with the pure devotees, when we are world weary and we want to turn to Krishna, then Krishna sends his representative. As we see in the case here with Dhruva Maharaj, he wanted to approach the Lord for something. 
And Krishna manifested his compassion, his mercy in the form of sending his bona fide representative, Narad Muni. So we're seeing the compassion of Krishna here in the material creation, give us a chance, not just one chance, but repeatedly we're getting chances, not just one life, but Krishna set up the system where there's reincarnation, there's transmigration of the soul. So we get unlimited chances, so many chances to correct ourselves, to rectify ourselves. So that's, that's another example I was thinking of, of Krishna showing his compassion by just creating this situation in a material world to give us chances over and over again. Any other examples of how we experience Krishna's compassion in our lives, internally and externally? I'm sure you all have lots of examples. We can take Hi, a couple. Krishna, Mother. Uh, it's very nice to see you. Um, Hi, Krishna. Thank you for your class, and uh, it's always wonderful. Um, uh, I, I can't help but think of um, the compassion of Krishna through Srila uh, Prabhupada. And then, you know, a step further is, um, you know, his compassion by giving us the holy names and that we're able to connect with him whenever, wherever, with the holy names. And um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. Compassion, the compassion of Krishna is coming from his devotees and through his devotees. Any other examples? I was thinking of something else also that Krishna, even though we're in a position, a fallen position, and we're conditioned by the modes of material nature, yet he, he does not remove our free will, that minute independence that we possess. It's still there, our individuality, our free will that he gives us. It's there all the time. We can choose, we can make choices. Like we see in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna, he gives a whole long spiel to Arjuna. He's helping Arjuna and bringing him to his senses when Krishna, uh, Arjuna had this existential crisis before the battle of Kurukshetra began. So he taught him so many things. And at the end, he says, now I have taught you this, deliberate on it fully and decide what you want to do. So that, that's an example of Krishna giving the living entity a freedom of choice, minute independence, but he's giving knowledge to someone who wants to get that knowledge. So whenever we're ripe and ready for that uh, knowledge of self-realization, of Krishna realization, uh, Krishna shows up. Krishna creates a, a situation and an opportunity whereby we can get that knowledge. And then he allows us our free will to decide what we want to do. So anyway, continuing from that, we uh, just spoke about the compassion of God, how we feel it in, in so many different ways in the world. We get up in the morning and we're very grateful. We feel the compassion of God there. Whatever is going on in our mind, Krishna is right there. There's a Brahma Mahurta hour. There's a sun coming punctually on time. Krishna is sending us so He's sending us foodstuffs, he's sending us uh, sunlight, he's sending us company. So many things we take for granted, but it's actually 
the steady mercy, the steady compassion of Krishna to make this reformation center a place that's tolerable for us to stay and uh, make some take advantage of the situation and uh, work on our holistic life uh, to calibrate our life in such a way that it's balanced in this world of matter and knowing the goal we can work on achieving the goal of going back home back to godhead so we also have that compassion within us. We are part and parcel of God. God has compassion and we have compassion too. But most of the time, if we examine ourselves, we might see, we might think that, yes, I'm a kind person. I'm a, a good person. I'm charitable. And so in many ways, I empathize with people and I do have compassion. And in our more introspective moments, we might think, well, I am lacking in compassion especially the bhakta, the devotee might think, my compassion is there, but it seems to be in abeyance, especially if I feel I'm not being treated nicely by others. Then I sort of, kind of in a way, maybe unconsciously withhold my compassion, but I would like it developed. I would like it to be awakened, that compassion that I have. It might be minuscule, but I want to make spiritual advancements. So I want all these qualities, these which are dormant, to surface and, and blossom in Krishna consciousness. I want to be truly compassionate to myself. Charity begins at home and to others. So I want to have self-compassion and I want to extend compassion to others. But how do I really know what is real compassion? And if I'm extending compassion is it compassion that's above the modes of material nature because sometimes what we construe or misconstrue as compassion is in the modes of material nature it might be relative compassion but we want the bhakta wants absolute compassion so how can we awaken true compassion srila Prabhupada, he gives a quite a few guidelines to help the practitioner in bhakti yoga, the yoga of love, the yoga of compassion. He advises that one should pray to the one who is the most compassionate. And who is that most compassionate one? It's not Krishna. And I might say, what? But he just said it's Krishna. So it is Krishna, the achintya factor again, it is Krishna and yet is a compassionate side of Krishna. As it is, Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. He is, as God, in one sense, he's a bit unapproachable and he can be kind of firm or even stern. So the bhaktas, the devotees, go to that compassionate nature of Krishna, the compassionate side of the Lord. And who is that? That's the soft feminine side of the Supreme Lord. That's his consort, Srimati Radharani. So one prays to Srimati Radharani. We see Gormohande, Kil Prabhupada's father. He asks, will you please bless, give my, have Srimati Radharani's blessings on my son? Devotees ask, they seek, they seek refuge, sanctuary of the most compassionate, Srimati Radharani. So Prabhupada, he helped in a very practical way. He, he gave four aphorisms. 
four aphorisms that can help us for practical purposes to awaken our compassion, that self-compassion, and to exhibit compassion to others. What are those four aphorisms? They are purity is the force. Can anyone else join in and say what are the three others? They're quite well known, these aphorisms for ISKCON devotees. Purity is the force. What else? Books are the basis. Books are the basis, correct. Yes. Anyone else? Books are the basis. So utility is the principle. Utility is a principle. Who's speaking? Ananta. Okay. Thank you. Utility is a principle. And we always like to go to the essence. Which one is the fourth one? What is the essence? What is the essence is a Goshti Anandi? Is devotion. That's there. <laughs> yes, that is there most certainly. What is the essence? Preaching is the essence. Preaching is the essence. So there's those four, and I wanted to discuss each one a little so we can dive a bit deeper into what Prabhupada meant by, for example, purity is the force. Purity is a force. Um, I'll begin with that, and then I would like some sharing and uh, interactive discourse. Purity is the force. One has to be pure in order, one has to be pure and have character and integrity in order to, to help others. One should, one's character, uh, Caesar's wife should be above suspicion. You know, we should, we should be of impeccable character, ideally. So purity is a force. Lord Chaitanya said, Janma Sartaraka Sartaka Karikara Kara Upakara. First, you become strong and then do, Srila Prabhupada says. Like he says, you know the saying, healer, heal thyself. Purity is a force. Charity begins at home. And how does that, how does that translate? How does purity is a force? Can, can you give examples like things we can do whereby we can follow this aphorism, purity is a force? I said one, charity begins at home. One should work on one's purity. And what does one do to attain that purity in bhakti yoga? How does one become purified? By engaging in sadhana. Good, yes. By engaging in sadhana, strict sadhana, by chanting the holy names of the Lord, for example. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Jai Guru Lord Chaitanya is singing that song very sweetly. Chant Hare Krishna, and he also says, all glories to the Sri Krishna Sankirtan, which cleanses the heart. It cleanses the heart. So purification of all the dust accumulated for years. So that dust on the mirror of the mind is cleansed. So engaging in sadhana, 
strictly that helps with purity. What else? How can we become pure and honest? Any other examples? Prabhupada gave a very, he said, for my disciples, we simply ask, follow the four regulative principles and, and chant 16 rounds. So in the yoga systems, the yamas and niyamas are actually quite elaborate. Most of us wouldn't be able to follow them all. Um, but he said, we have simply said um, four regulative principles, chant 16 rounds. And then he also particularly gave the deity worship uh, so that we can be in the mode of goodness, the pancharatraki. Otherwise, um, to imitate Haridas Thakur or others, uh, most likely will fall down. Actually, Prabhupada said for sure one will fall. There's places he said without deity worship, one will surely become degraded. So it's important then, yeah, so those, those, those two I was thinking, he said, chant 16 rounds, follow the four regular principles, and then engage in deity worship, which, which, which then keeps one regulated and clean. There has to be a certain protocol in one's lifestyle and behavior to, to do those. And he said, everyone can do that at home. One can install, one can establish an altar at home and make the home into an ashram and follow the same principles. Maybe not as elaborate, but same basic principles of cleanliness and punctuality and offerings and being clean, etc. Nice, yeah, very good. Yeah, and as you talk about home and the Grehasta ashram, another way of uh, observing this purities of force, another way of following in the spirit of that is um, living in a suitable ashram, as you were mentioning the great Grehasta ashram. Sometimes one might not be in a proper ashram, the proper ashram. So sometimes one might need to be in a specific ashram and they're in another one and they feel like a fish out of water or sometimes there's pretense and one might not be honest enough. But if one wants to, to actually develop and awaken that sense of purity, then it behooves one to try and find out what is comfortable for me, what is suitable for me. Am I really, am I really making advancement as a celibate brahmachari? Or is it better for me to be in the Grehasta ashram? We know Srila Prabhupada in the Bhagavatam itself, there is this example. We all know the famous example of uh, Gajendra, the elephant and the crocodile. He was not in his element. He was fighting an aquatic who was in his natural element and therefore that, that creature was winning the fight and Gajendra was not. Uh, so it relates actually, the example is given that one should be situated properly in order to execute Krishna consciousness. Otherwise, one's progress might be become stunted. One might not be making progress as, as organically as he should because of not being situated properly, not being situated in the proper ashram. And that way one might become dishonest or pretentious and it takes away, one, one is lacking in purity. So purity is a force. In order to be, give compassion to others, we ourselves have to go through this process, this ongoing uh, purification process so that we can be of proper help to others. Prabhupada gives the example of if you have to save a drowning man, you have to know how to swim. If you don't know how to swim and you just jump into the water, 
and you start to drown also, what help will there be? Both will perish. So it's so very important that if we think we want to extend, oh, I want to be so compassionate, that has to be uh, fueled by that process of sadhana and being situated honestly in an in an ashram and uh, taking shelter more and more of the guidance of the devotees to help us in that purificatory process. So I wanted to get some examples of how preaching is the essence, how that can help to awaken our compassion to help people. In what ways? Preaching is the essence. Can you give us some examples of, of preaching, different types of preaching, and how uh, these different types of preaching and in in those ways, we have practical ways to uh, give our compassion to others? Hare Krishna. Um, I think preparing, honoring, and distributing prasadam is one of the ways. Thank you, prasadam, yes, giving prasadam to others. And there's a whole science behind prasadam. Even the food that we are giving others is not just some altruistic, mundane charity we're giving, but this is prasad. It's the mercy. That's another form of compassion to the Lord, where we offer certain types of edibles. We cook them and we offer to the Lord so the food becomes sanctified. You know, it's like taking communion, the sacrament. So when when the, the conditioned souls, when they take this prasadam, it, they become purified by the prasadam and it guarantees that they won't get uh, a birth again, you know, like in the lower species of life. And it's the beginning of one's Krishna consciousness. So thank you for that. Prasadam, what else? What other oh. forms? I'm distributing Prabhupada's books because um, uh, the poor souls are suffering, you know, they don't have the knowledge. They think they're the body and uh, the consciousness is, um, you know, generally passion and ignorance. So they really suffer a lot. So um, getting Prabhupada's books, then they uh, have that opportunity to um, um, cleanse uh, their consciousness and um, in that way, you know, the devotee is trying to extend that compassion of um, Krishna's knowledge and uh, Prabhupada's, you know, purports and everything help the, the souls. Yes. Okay, so through book distribution, distribution of Srila Prabhupada's books, <clears throat> any other examples? Preaching is the essence. I was thinking of where a preaching of the uh, is the essence. The, the very term preaching it it means teaching, and if we want to do a proper service to others, then um, then it's important. It's important for us to be trained properly to interface with uh, the public. So training is necessary. You know, education so one can be a a competent preacher. We learn to we learn the art of, uh, of preaching from others. So we are going on to books are the basis. Would anyone like to say anything about books are the basis? Prabhupada said that's the, the foundation, the basis. Why are books the basis? Why are they the foundation? 
Because they lay out the, uh, basically they, they lay out the philosophy, which it creates a framework for us to understand and see reality in a certain way. It's like they, and they guide us. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's knowledge. And that knowledge, knowledge is power. Knowledge is a foundation that helps us. It gives one enlightenment. Like there's a saying, you give someone, you can give them food, shelter, or whatever, and that will help. You know, there's some help there, relative help or temporary help. But give a person knowledge, equip them with knowledge. And in this case, it's knowledge of God, Krishna consciousness. Then they can stand on their feet, then they get a foundation. And they can apply that knowledge in their daily life. And then there's another thing about knowledge. There's Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. And out of those three, the Shastra is the foundation. Because the Guru, he is acting in accordance with Shastra. He is supported by Shastra. And the Sadhu also, Guru and Sadhu, so Shastra, knowledge. And that knowledge has to be intact. It cannot be tainted or contaminated. So it's so very important for training again, education. So one is not just distributing the books to the public, but one is embodying the teachings of the book. Like Prabhupada said, you're distributing so many books, but you, know, you haven't even read the books. So we have to practice what we're preaching. So then we have utility as a principle. Any examples of utility as a principle? How? How is that principle of utility is a principle? How is that helping people? How is that showing compassion? Uh, uh, Mataji? Yes. Uh, uh, yes, the four principles are uh, purity is the force, um, uh, preaching is the essence, uh, utility is the principle, and uh, and the other the other one is books are the basis. We did books are the basis, yes. So these are the four uh, the four principles. And in relation to utility, uh, I ha I have the, the the idea. Maybe I am wrong, and please correct me if I am wrong. But I have the idea that uh, utility is in relation to time, place, and circumstance. Okay. So, so um, yeah, um, if you, if, yeah, uh, let's imagine that uh, books are not available for a certain period of time. Uh, instead of selling books, uh, of, of um, printing books, you, you could print uh, just a pamphlet. Okay, yes, utility is a principle. That's, that's a good example. Yeah. Yes, that is, that is my example. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I was also You're thinking welcome. utility is a principle of the principle of Yukta Vairagya, where the devotee learns to convert what is matter into spirit in one's own life. You know, the Yukta Vairagya principle. And also, teach others the art of the yukta vairagya how to work in devotion and in that regard krishna talks about that in the bhagavad gita 
when he's speaking about karma yoga, work, literally work and devotion. And he says, Napudi Bedam Janayed, Agyanam Karma Sanginam, Joshayed Sarva Karmani, Vidvan Yukta Samacharam. So as not to dis disrupt the minds of ignorant men attached to the fruit of results of prescribed duties, a learned person should not induce them to stop work, rather, by working in the spirit of devotion, he should engage them in all sorts of activities for the gradual development of Krishna consciousness. So not only do the bhaktas learn to learn the art of using material things in the service of Krishna, but he can see where people are at and engage them accordingly. Like we are seeing here in Narad Muni, he's, he's uh, described as giving expert advice because he's the foremost guru. So he knows exactly how to engage Dhruva Maharaj, who's so full, Sarvakama Vak, uh, so full of material desires. He knows how to engage him in devotional service. In the purport of that text, 5326, uh, Prabhupada says uh, that a realized soul in Krishna consciousness should not disturb others in their activities or understanding, but he should act by showing how the results of all work can be dedicated to the service of Krishna. He should teach. He should teach the conditioned souls that they may learn how to act and how to behave. So one is not disturbing the ignorant man, but if someone is slightly developed in Krishna consciousness, such a person may directly be engaged in the service of the Lord without waiting for other Vedic formulas. So these four aphorisms that Prabhupada gave to help to help one acti actively demonstrate compassion, if we follow in their spirit, then our compassion, true compassion, absolute compassion, can actually surface and develop within us. So I just wanted to, since we don't have much time, I just wanted to read just a little about Bhishma Dev his disappearance day, that um, there he was on that bed of arrows and people were coming to see him, the greatest people, God himself. And Krishna told Yudhishthira that Bhishma would soon leave the planet. So his brothers should go, at, well, he and his brothers should go at once to see him. And Krishna said, when that great man leaves, so all kinds of knowledge about morality and duty will leave with him. No one can deliver instructions comparable to his, not even me. We know that Yudhishthira was very depressed after the war. He felt himself responsible for all the carnage that took place, and he didn't want to accept the position as the emperor. So the Lord referred him to Bishmadev. So Bishmadev, when they went and they saw him there on that bed of arrows, he tried to dispel Yudhishthira's despondency by pointing out firstly that he was under divine protection, that everything was going on according to the Supreme Lord's will and no one should grieve for such inevit inevitabilities. So then Yudhishthir began to ask, he was uh, you know, taking advantage of the association by inquiring submissively, he began to ask about the essential principles of various religious duties. And Bhishma responded in detail, 
repeating Vedic knowledge that he had imbibed from celestial rishis and had personally realized. So he gave examples from ancient histories to illustrate his points. Whatever he was saying was backed up by ancient history. And his audience was spellbound. And it said for more than 50 days, he was actually there on that bed of arrows and the conversation continued. So he was in full control, possession of his senses. He was so lucid and a dying person and yet he's giving instruction. Bhishma defined all the classifications and duties of the forecasts and orders of life in terms of the individual's qualifications. Then he systematically described how one could become free from material entanglement even while still engaged in the work. He explained acts of charity, a king's practical duties, and which activities lead to salvation. And in this way, Yudhishthir felt that his doubts and uncertainties, they were cleared. So after that, then Bhishmadev, he left. We know he had a boon that he could give up his body when he pleased, when he wanted. That's another extraordinary thing about him. So he knew this was the time that he should exit, he should leave, and he was so very ecstatic that he could do that in the presence of Krishna. So some of the last words that he said with Krishna in front of him, it said the sun was reaching the meridian and Bhishma knew his departure was near. He controlled his mind, absorbing it in thoughts of Krishna alone. Thinking of Krishna's many divine pastimes, he spoke one final time. He said, I can now meditate with full concentration upon that one Lord, Krishna, visible before me, because I have transcended a misconception of duality. It is this Krishna who is present in everyone's heart and who is the ultimate destination for all transcendentalists including those who accept the absolute truth as being simply the Brahman. Even though the sun may be perceived differently by different people in different parts of the world, the sun is one. I therefore surrender myself to that all-powerful, omnipresent Krishna. May all be well with the worlds. And it said his life air shut out from the crown of his head and went into the sky like a blazing comet. The Rishi's present could see that he had left his body in a brilliant spiritual form, etc., etc. So I'll stop here. If there are any questions or comments, we have a couple minutes. Uh, I have a question, but uh, if a senior devotee wants to go first, uh, I can wait. Please do. Uh, uh, can I go? Yes. Okay, so in relation to the verses from Bhagavad Gita as it is that you brought to us uh, related to the principle of utility, you were, you were uh, quoting from uh, chapter number three, Karma Yoga. Yes. And there is a verse in relation to which I have uh, the following doubt. So I'll read the verse. Uh, text uh, text uh, 29, quote, bewildered by the modes of material nature, the ignorant 
fully engage themselves in material activities and become attached. But the wise should not unsettle them, although these duties are inferior due to the performer's lack of knowledge." End quote. So my question is, what is the meaning of the expression, uh, the, but the wise should not unsettle them? I have no understanding whatsoever in relation to the, this part of this verse. Any help, please? The, the word and uh, the word and why not unsettle them? So Prabhupada says in the purport that almost at the end of the first paragraph, he says, those who are enlightened in spiritual life, that is truly enlightened as to the ways, the ins and outs of spiritual life, however, should not try to agitate such materially engrossed people. You don't just tell them to surrender, like Krishna says, surrender everything, you know, renounce everything. But no, one should not agitate such people. Better to prosecute one's own spiritual activities silently. Such bewildered persons may be engaged in such primary moral principles of life as nonviolence and similarly, similar materially benevolent work. So the devotee does not want to unsettle such people by asking them things to do that they probably might regret later. That might seem uh, so abrupt or fanatical or sudden and un un unsettle such persons who may agree to it, but afterwards they realize they can't make the grade and they're, they're uncomfortable in whatever new situation they might be in. They might realize it's premature, you know, it's a, uh, it's unsuitable for their situation. So that's why Krishna says, the ignorant fully engage themselves in material and become attached. They become attached. So to detach someone from activity from which one, one has to have a, a really effective alternative and one has to be expert. The devotee has to be be expert to really gauge where someone is at and could be taking a chance, a risk. So Krishna is giving this advice here and uh, Prabhupada, he reinforces this in the purport that don't unsettle them. Instead, one can engage them <clears throat> in primary moral principles to at least follow the regulative principles, you know, like gradually, like for example, nonviolence to become a Krishnatarian and materially benevolent work to, to do some work that's, uh, that's good, that's benevolent, as a start, gradually, gradually. Uh, Is that okay? Uh, yes, uh, perfect, Mataji. Uh, wonderful answer. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Anyone else? A burning question, perhaps? If not, we can end here. Thank you very much. Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Shri Prabhupada Ki Manandi. Hari 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 Bhav. Anjukalpa Turubhishra. Kripa Sindhi. Namo Namaha. Hari Hare Krishna.